Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. I'm Sarah Koshansky from 11FS, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, David Breer. How are you doing, David? And in fact, welcome back to the show. I know. It's been a couple of weeks, isn't it? I um, said this when we recorded FinTech Insider last week, that uh, it's been a long time, but um, good to be back. Um, Great to have you back. Um, So today's show, we'll be looking at all things pet insurance. And to talk about this with us, we're joined by a fantastic guest who is, in fact, an expert in this field, Oki Elazu, CEO of Bought by Many. Welcome back, Oki. Thank you very much. Good to be back. And um, I'm really interested in how you define expert, but I'm sure we'll see. Um, okay, well, let's make a start. So um, just a little bit of context on this one. So 45% of the population of the UK own a pet, and studies estimate there to be around 51 million pets in the UK right now. Um, and of those pet owners, 6.6 million people have taken up pet insurance, which is apparently one in 10 of the entire population. So it's clearly an industry that um, that has some legs. Just to kick off our round table here, there are, there are, we're going to need a bit of definitions to, to get people um, into this. Um, there are three common types of pet insurance insurance, lifetime, annual and accident. Okay, can you sort of give us a little bit of an overview on, on what each of those is before we go into a deeper dive about the industry and how those policies are conducted and you know what, what things need to be updated there? Okay, well accident pretty much says what it says, it kind of just covers you for um, any accident, specific accidents to, to, to that pet. Lifetime is an interesting one. Um, lifetime cover is... F- for a pet for its lifetime but it's uh, there's a there's normally a limit an annual limit on vet fees you can get f- for that illness so um let's say co- um your pet contracts diabetes um they'll pay up to the limit and then no more but the next year as long as you renew your policy that limit gets extended again and that carries on for as long as you keep renewing your policy with that provider and that's an important thing because obviously if you go to another provider that will often be excluded. Oh that's interesting. Okay so if you, if you go to a provider and your pet has a pre-existing condition it will be you couldn't get lifetime cover from that point onwards is that what you mean? That's correct. And in fact the whole area of pre-existing conditions is one that's incredibly contentious for um, people who buy pet insurance because actually this whole idea of being able to switch easily is is gone once your pet has an illness. Um, that will not be covered by a new provider if you go to them. And and this is one of the real issues um, with pet insurance, one of the things we've tried to fix. Mm, That seems like a real problem, doesn't it? Because like you say, that locks you into a provider kind of unless you want to, you know, take a a punt that something's had something, it's not going to get it again, which doesn't really work on the health basis, does it? No, no. And when we were researching pet insurance, um, pre-existing conditions came up as almost the number one pain point for people that have it um and because because then of course you are you could argue you're a hostage to fortune so your premiums can keep going up and you can't say well we'll go over there because the new insurer will say oh sorry but we're not we're not going to cover that condition because it's a pre-existing condition we know that it's had it before um so so actually this whole idea of switching in pet insurance is incredibly difficult um subject and um, we've created a product that helps customers with that because it was one of the key things that they talked about Pets, quite a broad sort of definition. Everybody sort of thinks about like dogs and cats and whatnot, but people have kind of weird and wonderful pets, don't they? Like, uh, in fact, actually, Bianca has got a snake, hasn't she? The lady, a lady who works in our marketing yeah. department for at Eleven FS. So, um, how does pet insurance work for the broad spectrum? You know, is this something that applies to all different types of animals? Yeah, absolutely, or? absolutely. So, um, we have um, our main bought by many business, but part of our um, group of uh, companies we have a company called exotic direct and exotic direct do exactly what you say they cover exotic pets um well some of them 
seem very very exotic like um your snakes and lizards and komodo dragons and things like that um but maybe rabbits too and tortoises so so rabbits are exotic well in our definition absolutely you know please explain why rabbits are exotic (laughs) well they're just not cats and dogs oh i see okay (laughs) okay they're just not cats and dogs so everything that's not a cat and dog really falls into um that that category but that is a also a huge growing part of the market um that we cover and and actually that that part of our business does very well too it must be interesting because like i say the definition of like you know we you get to start to uh, think about what use the pet is having like at what point does something not be a pet but is actually being used for pu- some sort of purpose so like a working animal or like a horse of some description like if you have a horse is it considered a pet or is it considered you know a um, you know something else other than that i guess it depends on what you do with it doesn't it but that shows my background like <laughs> but uh, but it's um an, an interesting one because I, I guess the definition of pet is quite vague really isn't it i see what you mean in terms of that and the horses are very specific and we don't cover horses um but for example dogs so there are most dogs are pets but there are working dogs too and we would tend to exclude working dogs yeah so would that include like a guide dog or a sheep dog those would all be classes. certainly a, a, a sheep sheep dog a working dog because the risks remember it's insurance is all about risks and the risks with a working dog are different to the risks um, that you have with a, a, um, a dog that is just a pet and is going to laze around the house and just go for walks. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you could get insurance for any kind of animal. If you had a pet pig, I'm sure you could go, somebody would insure that, that pet pig. Yeah. But I'm sure if you were a farmer who bred pigs, it's a very different kind of policy. Completely different thing. Uh, completely different thing, yes. But um, the exotic market, or, you know, lizards um, and snakes, is, is, is definitely growing. And one one that we cover well on the basis of like very frequent trips to pets at home which we'll go into the rationale for that later on but uh, they appear to sell everything for everything right now so there's definitely a, a you know that's a growth area i don't think it's just niche anymore you know you can buy all sorts of creepy crawlies to feed to those things from uh, from pets at home and other good pet stores as well i imagine yeah i i actually have a question about this as well so talking about um the the, the kind of the sort of policies that that differ depending on the kind of condition that the animal might be about to get but this is sort of going back into what you're saying about the price so those lizards are are expensive animals so you probably would want an insurance policy on them and then you go to like a rabbit and you have a five pound rabbit from pets at home and a 500 pound rabbit from um you know an angora rabbit or whatever the the policies that you offer are somewhat breed specific is that correct so um on exotic pets the most definitely are because the risks Mm -hmm. are are very different um on cats and dogs we create communities so we know the breeds um that our customers well i suppose all insurance knows that but we create communities of these breeds um and as we go down at the moment it's a lot more generic we price on breed as everyone else does um because different pets have different a big dog or a small dog all of those are rating factors for everyone um we just have communities those who can share best practice about how to keep uh pug um and and things like that Uh, but so all pricing is very very specific it's very specific to the breed of the dog i imagine you would also cover a mongrel if somebody so wished uh most definitely um and and actually um those sort of cross breeds are very very prevalent um in 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 the uk at the moment so absolutely um and but it would depend what size of that dog that was so literally whether you're a small medium or large um mongrel crossbreed dog will will decide how much you have to pay in premium Hmm. it's interesting one isn't it because that you know applying risk pricing across you know multi 
types of species, interbreeding of, you know, various different medical problems. We, you know, and, and like say, a pure breed generally has certain traits from a medical perspective and crossbreeds have certain medical traits. But it, so it's a cha- ever-changing kind of risk landscape, isn't it? As people are kind of crossbreeding a bizarre thing with a bizarre thing, you're coming up with new problems that, like there's the, I think it's uh, poodles have got so many, so many inbreeding generations now that they're getting real bad sort of various different sort of ailments that are kind of coming through. Well, it's actually really interesting. So um, one of the questions that all pensioners will ask, and we ask it too, is whether it's a pedigree or not. And people ask, why are you asking about a pedigree? Because a pedigree is effectively an inbred breed. And actually that tends to throw up more problems than a mongrel which is crossbreed which actually is more resilient um, to, to illnesses and so it tends to have less problems but what's been really interesting recently is this whole idea I think the term is hybrid breeds mm. and this is your your cockapoos <laughs> and your, your spoodles and, and those sort of things so actually if a spoodle and a spoodle get together and produce a spoodle is that a pedigree spoodle or not it's a spaniel and a poodle for the person in the corner of the room who's looking at me slightly confused yeah. <laughs> it, it yeah. sounds like one of those kind of like quiz things yeah, that we might right. put in the random stream in slack mm. at some point type thing you know um yeah i mean the, yes exactly so if you if you have a, a cockapoo um, which we'll move on to because with david yours is a cockapoo is that correct it is but i'm now going to refer to him as a hybrid dog uh, Hybrid, that sorry. sounds sexy, I'm not going to lie. Compared to the small brown thing that we rescued from the Blue Cross, which may or may not have had some Jack Russell in it at some point, again, that's going to be a different kind of animal. Yeah, hybrids is definitely how they call it. Cause they're, but just to answer that, it's not, because a pedigree has to be uh, uh, ratified by the kennel club, has to be registered as a kennel club, and a cockapoo doesn't, isn't registered as a breed by the kennel club, so it can't be a pedigree, even if two of them get together. Mm. But he's very, very cute, I have to say. We've had him now for about 15 weeks. He's called Jake the Dog, my my children are definitely Adventure Time fans, hence Jake the dog. But uh, but yeah, he's a very, very cute little thing. And is he insured? He is, yeah. Uh, he was insured and it kind of came up, you know, we bizarrely we sort of talk about, you know, the difference between sort of innovation and distribution. And then I get kind of distribution forced upon us by a, a vet going, hey, would you like a free thing? And if you're faced with, hey, would you like a free thing? The answer is usually yes. Um, so we took Pet Plan at the point where he was getting his uh, injections, actually. Six weeks later, would you like to renew? It's only XP a day or something. Seems like a sensible thing to do, and we did. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an, a very interesting channel um, through vets and um, breeders and free insurance. And I think that works really um, well for for pet plan but i suppose i don't know um, whether that means you shop around but i think it's really important for people to shop around not only on price but also on different features of pet insurance so for example we one of the things we researched when we came was that people were really unhappy with how much the price goes up um, and so we created a product that doesn't go up in price. It calls Fix for Life. And, but the, the, the pet has to be under, the dog or cat has to be under two years old. So for your um, cockapoo, um, you could get a price, which might be slightly more than you would pay elsewhere, but it will never, ever go up for the whole duration of its life. And that's what we call a true lifetime policy. Um, because, you know, you know you'll be paying £45 if that was it forever. I mean, it's an interesting one as well because you you didn't actually have to buy that insurance. You could have said no. Are there, are there ever any circumstances under which you have to have an animal insured? So we talk sometimes about you know on the show about things like grudge purchase of insurance. So when you have a car, you have to get it insured. It's just the rules. Are there any circumstances where pets have to be insured? I don't think so. Um, I, and, I, I, and it's really interesting for us because insurance 
it can be a grudge purchase, so motor insurance for sure, house insurance a bit of. When you start getting into things like pet insurance, it is purely discretionary. And so people do it because they love their pets. And we're in a, in this field, we're in a place where it's not a grudge. People want, often want the best for their pet and or they've had a pet before and they realise when it got ill how much it cost um to do can you give us any examples of this because i i know how much like i know how much a vet can charge for even simple things but can, have you got any examples of any kind of those eye-watering prices off the top of your head so well, there'll be plenty but so i'll give you a story my neighbor who um had a lifetime cover um with another insurance company which i will not name <laughs> and um their pet ate the wrong thing it had to have a stomach operation um so you'd think that was fairly fairly straightforward but then they had some complications and their vet cover was three thousand pound um a year and it ended up costing them five thousand pounds right this is eating this is eating something that's what dogs do yeah this is not leukemia or cancer or anything like that eating the wrong thing uh, a complicated operation with complications so they end up paying another two thousand pounds by the way which they didn't begrudge because at the time they're thinking about the life or death of their pet pet. you know so the extra two thousand pounds for them wasn't a problem but actually the policy they had really really, we would say in many ways wasn't really fit for purpose because because it's easy to get to five thousand pounds in 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 vet fees that's that's exactly similar experience that my uh, uncle had actually recently. Their dog um, ran off, got hit by a car, and then it was about seven grand's worth of vet bills that they were sort of facing into. Luckily, they had they had insurance, and actually, it meant that they could provide that because that's a really tough decision. You know, it was only a was it three year old dog at the time, uh, but seven grand is a big outlay for anybody at any point to do for a you know for a pet. You know, but I, I think it's a it's a bizarre one. Like me and um, Sarah, my wife, like we. We've had two kids and got a house and all sorts type thing, but we now feel like a grown up because we bought a pet. Um, but the the reality of like those first couple of days, like ha- like buying a pet is one of the few things that you you gain so many different responsibilities instantly. Like when you're having kids, there's like nine months of like anticipation of sleepless nights and all of that type, type of stuff. Like with a pet, you just turn on a tap and it's there. Um, so like all of that paranoia of like, have we checked out the breeder? Is it the right one? Have you got all those things? You know, is it a healthy, okay, is joints and blah, 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 blah. You know, all of that stuff comes really bizarre. But like you say, it's the fear of you've just brought somebody and this little beautiful little thing into your house and it's going to be part of your family so you want to make sure it's getting the the right level of protection the the right safety and security around that because you never know right i totally agree and it's not pet is such a short and simple word but it's a member of the family right it's a serious member of the family when we build our processes we always bear that in mind because the lifespan of a dog maybe 14 or 15 years you know so it's not like it's going to live for 100 years and so we know that we have lots of pets that pass away and that uh, and we know that means a lot to the uh, to the family uh, and uh, literally losing a member of the family and we treat it as such and so for example we send the condolences cards to all our uh, our um, customers whose pets pass away because you would do that if it was um, someone's uh, a member of their family you know a son or a daughter we treat this exactly the same it's, it's an interesting point as well just to, you know that there's also I, I don't know that you offer them maybe you do but you can also take out a policy for if the worst comes to the worst and you have to have your animal put down because again it's not free to have your animal put down if you if you make the decision that this animal is in pain and there's nothing further that can be done and a lot of people do do that you then have to 
pay quite a bit of money to the vet for that to happen. So uh, that is a thing as well. I'm right. Yeah, we would. Thinking. Yeah, we would cover that. Oh, you would cover it. Okay. Um, so and, and I guess then the other thing that that leads to is when people get to the fact that they they have an animal that has a condition, they don't feel like they can afford to, to pay for the treatment. That's when a lot of these animals end up at uh, animal sanctuaries. How would you go about? Like, for example, yourselves, how would you go about ensuring a pet that comes from, like, the RSPCA? So I go to the RSPCA, I, I find a dog I want, I, I sort of, you know, bring it to you and say, how do I how do I get this insured? How do you, when you don't have a vet's history, it's like five years old and, you know, it's a mongrel. Yeah, we f- try to find out as much as we can. We, we have lots of rescue pets uh, as customers. Um, people tend to know a bit about it, but, but not a lot. But actually what we've done is simplified our application process such that you could probably answer most of the questions about your pet it's uh, you know we like to think of us as a customer experience business and so we've literally simplified everything as much as it can be simplified and so the purchasing process is very very simple it's very few questions you can most people could probably complete most of the questions and and that's fine if you say it's a rescue pet that's fine too do your best with the answers and actually the thing is we have a real belief that customers are honest you know, they'll tell you what they know to the best of their ability. Most people aren't trying to rip you off. We start from the premise that people aren't trying to rip us off. So we build application processes that are simple and ask the relevant questions because we assume that people aren't trying to rip us off. We create claims processes that are simple because we assume most people aren't trying to rip us off. Hmm. We might get a few issues here and there along the way, but that's not what our business is built on. It's built on simplicity and making it easy for people to do whatever it is they need to do with us. And I guess also that's one of the things that you mentioned before with, with travel, but you said it applies to pet insurance as well when it comes from you. It is a little bit more expensive than perhaps from another provider, but actually you get a lot more for it in terms of that compassion that, you know, and, and if you've got a rescue dog, for example, and somebody else goes, we're not going to touch it because X, Y, Z, you guys will come in and say, well, actually, it's a little bit more expensive, but actually it will give you all of this for it. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. So um, we when we launched our pet insurance uh, last year, We'd done lots of research. We'd looked at 38,000 lines, uh, comments on Facebook, literally telling us what people liked and didn't like about um, pet insurance. And we built products um, to meet the needs. So we built standard products like you would see from other uh, pet insurance, but we built non-standard products. I've talked for fi- about Fix for Life. We've mentioned pre-existing. That's another thing. We have a pre-existing product. We have a product that will cover pre-existing conditions there isn't another one of those in the market yep it's slightly more expensive mm-hmm. right but actually it meets customer needs and so that's that's very specific and we also have a money-back policy so one of the things people told us was you know i have this pet insurance i pay all this money and i, I don't have to have it and i get to the end of the year and i haven't used it mm-hmm. and it feels like a waste so we created uh, money back so we said look if you don't claim you get 20 percent of your money back nice yeah you know and so customers like oh right so if I don't use it, I get 20% back. It's like, yeah, that's and fine. And of course that encourages people to come back the next year and go, okay, well, it is worth having. Yeah. I mean, and it costs slightly more, but that's it. So actually our average premiums are higher than the industry. And I'm, I'm a great believer that's because we have built products that customers actually want. When you build products that customers want, they'll pay slightly more for them. Makes sense. Bizarre idea, isn't it? I know. Want your How products, curious. You know? yeah. Especially in this instance where it's a, like you said, it's not a, grudge purchase you have to uh, you have to want this you know you're you're wanting that security you're wanting the protection so you know it's it's a service I, I kind of fundamentally think this is everything that's around the product that you're describing it's not just about having the policy paper it's about having the you know tapping into resources expertise um you know feeling that comfort remember insurance in many ways should be called 
reassurance, right? Because in this case, that's what it is. The amount of people say, right, I bought this, I can relax. I can feel comfortable that they can run off and go foraging in the woods. And, and if something happens, I'm covered and I don't have to worry about it. I mean, our second most popular product is one called Complete, which is the most comprehensive uh, product in the market. You know, you have um, 15,000 pounds worth of vet fee covers. A lot of people, there's a lot. But, but as we said, it can get up to that. Yeah. But lots of people buy it because they say, I just want to know if something goes wrong, I am covered. And if that means I pay slightly more, I will do that. You know, so it's, in pet, it's all about reassurance as much as insurance. And do you, do you think maybe this is where some of the big insurers have gone wrong? So not all the big, it's worth pointing out actually that not all the big insurers do do pet insurance. A lot of them do, um, not all of them do. Do you think it's at that kind of fundamental misunderstanding of the, you know, what people want from the product? Um, or is it just too complicated for them to handle? You know, what, what's your kind of insight into to that? I mean, not all um big insurers do pet insurance uh, and they and the industry has some real key champions or you know um companies that dominate so pet planners you've discussed i think have i don't know something like 40 percent of the market um rsa through its various brands probably have another 25 percent of the market so so it's really dominated by some some significant big players and effectively they set up a standard way of operating as you would when you've only got a few big players and everyone sort of fits into that model um and, and and that becomes standard because then everyone understands that I can compare more than with pet plan um, with animal friends. Um, so I would say we are the first people, and this whole idea of being a disruptive uh, organisation that says, "Well, hang on, we'll do stuff that's standard, but we'll also do stuff that's non-standard." So we give people a choice, and if we let customers effectively build the product by telling us what they like or don't like about insurance, there should be some niche markets out there for us, even if it's by product type or product features that don't get offered. By other people um which is what we found we have we found and obviously our distribution model is completely different to everyone else's because we use um google and facebook predominantly so digital channels for reaching our customers um which is totally different to um uh, other insurance companies yeah it makes for a very different acquisition model um you know i know when uh, when i used to work at a big insurer actually making uh making pet insurance profitable in the way other areas of insurance can be profitable was really really hard at the time uh, and this was where you know people were spending most of their time looking predominantly at home and car because of the you know the margin that it can really sort of make so you know given the complexities given the you know the broad base of everything that you have to sort of take into account from a risk perspective then um, you know sometimes people have just got bigger fish to fry so are you saying that this is interesting to me so you're saying that the, I would have the profit margin would be quite high because people choose to buy this product and they're willing to spend money on it but is actually what you're saying because it's so much more complex well if you if you think about life insurance from a from a human being perspective it's like average life of 65 or whatever um ch- like standard age for a pet like in the Breer household we seem to have them to like 17 or 18 type thing we look after our pets yeah. i'm just saying um but the like average age for a big dog's like eight to ten or something um so like just the frequency of these policies being paid out is a lot higher than it would be for lots of other okay. forms of insurance when you're thinking like long-term risk like mm-hmm. life insurance or mortgage life insurance from a a, a human's perspective a lot longer term okay. uh pet insurance a lot shorter term but with all of the complexities of infinitely more complex risk profiles it's effectively health insurance it's health insurance for that we have for humans but just for pets <clears throat> and so 
with far fewer species involved. Yeah, well, it's much more complex in terms of the the different breeds and how they they operate. But also, what's interesting is that the frequency of claim exactly is 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 more frequent because dogs eat stuff and cats get hit by jump cars. Off, get hit by cars and jump off roofs. You dogs know. definitely do eat stuff. Like um, we had, um, my wife was freaking out because uh, don't give a puppy a spare rib with the bone. And so we were exactly like, just swallowed the whole thing. So we were like, okay, we need to figure out what. So it's that type of thing. We're actually... It's totally right. And, and there's, so we talk a lot about what we do with our communities and, and also a lot of the content we create. So we create lots and lots of content that helps educate pet owners um exactly said don't feed your dog a spare rib right because actually that works for them because they don't go through the the hassle of having to have an operation (laughs) and it works for us because it means um that we don't have a claim it's kind of like the analogy i've used a lot with with a lot of the content and education we use for customers both cats and dogs and exotic pets where people buy pets and they don't know that you don't feed a parrot chips right um and you think i'm joking i'm not joking we do that because um, it's better for the owner and it's better for us. And the analogy I always use is whole about, you know, firemen don't fight fires anymore, right? Yeah. Because the prevention and the education that goes into, you know, don't use a, a open pan with lots of oil in it because you'll probably burn your house down helps um, firemen not to fight them. So they spend as much of their time educating people on, on, on fire prevention as they do fighting fires. And I think insurance companies need to think exactly the same way. It must be um, it must be easy to make that type of community as well because like I say easy I mean this is something that people are so passionate about you know they want to talk about their animal like there's whole like Instagram accounts as uh, Jeff Tyson follows in our team uh, of animals now so like animals as a <laughs> Jeff Tyson follows animal Instagram accounts yeah okay, we, that's useful information I'm exactly. using that later please we, continue we can talk about that we can talk about that more in the office can't we but um, but do you know what I mean like there's a there's a whole community around how proud of their pets that everybody is that you it must be uh, you must get some really interesting dialogue in that community it's uh incredible and even in terms of you know you can upload a picture of your pet when you apply Mm -hmm. Uh, you know when you apply and we've got something like fifteen thousand different pictures of pets people love their pets they love to show off their pets um in our community we just run we did we we wrote some content around uh pet selfies and then ran a community pet selfie competition i can show you so i'll show you some of the pictures and some of the pictures are literally incredible right (laughs) it's incredibly engaging it's great for us it's great for our customers it's great for the community and people will be able to upvote um those sort of things so so actually we are more than an insurance company because because we just don't just sell insurance policies we create content we create conversations we create pictures and images that 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 mean that people can feel invested in what we do it's almost like an ecosystem rather than than a product is that kind of rebranding of insurers so we speak to quite a few insurers and we you know we have loads of them on the show and a lot of them the big guys say you know they they have a they have a public perception problem you know what sort of whatever sort of insurance they provide people they're always kind of viewed as this slightly bad untrustworthy guys but i think a lot of what a lot of the the, the newer insure techs like yourselves are doing is they're man- which is really interesting to me is managing to use technology along with kind of like behavioral economics to create something that people actually want to be part of so i mean for a start if you're onto a slight winner because people want to insure their pets but beyond that they actually want to engage with you so maybe this is kind of the, the future of where insurance should be going is instead of saying oh we're just going to be there when something bad happens we're going to be there all the time correct 
um, and you know, you know, run a competition for a pet selfie, and I don't know, maybe you can win a prize, or whatever, whatever it is. It's more engaging. That's exactly what it is. Or we can talk about shock collars because th- that's been in the press, and let's get people's views on shock collars, and 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 then you get people t- talking to other people about their views on it, and we hardly can get involved mm-hmm. in those conversations. This is pet owners talking to pet owners, and that's totally cool by us. But you know, the the uh, pet selfies is great. So we kind of have this whole idea that that we're not just there for the the transactional elements of buying and then claiming and renewing we're there for almost like uh, the whole journey exactly as you say for the whole journey we we want to engage with you and and be part of what you're doing with your pets as, as pets but we'll do that with other products too i mean we talked about travel before exactly the same we want to add value to our customers over and above that so we don't see ourselves in insurance companies per se um, we, or a tech business that focuses on customer experience and at this moment in time we do that with pet insurance. Mm. I think it's a like an interesting broader trend that we're seeing in financial services is like that service element coming back much harder, you know, moving away from just annual products and a you know a policy that goes in the in the drawers that you only worry about when something goes wrong to like how are you rewarding people how are you engaging them on a day-to-day basis and adding value uh, you know people are expecting that value exchange it's pretty much every other walk of life really the things that provide those services are the things that we really really love you know whether it's netflix or spotify or whatever it is but um i, I think it's great to start seeing every industry you know move to that direction really well it's, it's the only way you're really just i mean insurance is a huge business i mean global trillions of pounds um and this is only just starting and i think um the more that expectation grows um the more the insurance will have to change so we our our purpose we call it better insurance for everyone right and and better could be better price better customer experience um better products and when we say for everyone we kind of mean we want to do small niches we do niches as well so we don't just do the 80 percent that everyone else cares about we do the 20 percent too we mean for everyone from that but we also mean for everyone because if we do stuff that means people the industry changes then that's good for everyone. So we have a zero excess. Our regular product has no excess, right? Up until last week, we were the only pet insurance company that did it. Another one has now chosen to do zero excess policy. Now, why is zero excess important? It's important because it means that reassurance perspective, if something happens to your pet, you take it to the vet and it's a £50 bill, you can put it in and get paid. No excess, no thing. Oh, it's £69, do I put it in or do I not put it in? We, we thought we don't do that. We don't, we'll have a policy that doesn't do that. It's hugely popular for us. So if people copy that, great. yeah, it's not so great for us commercially, but it's great for everyone yeah. because they get more access to zero access policies. Um, and I think just talking about the future, just, you know, we're getting to the end of the, the roundtable discussion. But one thing that I, I would like to mention, because I know David's got a story on this as well. Um, we're talking about technology and insurance, um, you know, and then we're looking when we look at human health insurance, people are starting to use things like wearables and their policies are being written based on, you know, whether, you know, the data coming from wearables. Do you see a future where policies could be informed by um collars on dogs? You know, is your dog getting enough exercise cameras in your home? Is your dog, you know, being being not being treated right is your you know a lot of these pedigree breeds are very expensive and they get nicked <laughs> so you know do you have cameras in your home looking after your dog um you know is that is that do you see maybe there's a future coming where that could be i don't think it's, I don't, I, i'm not sure about the cameras but um the collars for sure right um i can see that there's if you can have a fitbit for you for you and there are issues to do especially with certain breeds to do with how much exercise they have how many steps they're taking how many walks they're going for it's totally logical that if you can 
create that for a collar and then you can uh, evidence that your dog is getting a certain amount of exercise and, and we know that that is aligned to being healthier and having less health issues for sure that would affect the premium i I don't i I really don't think that's too distant in the future i think that's around the corner nice looking forward to buying that apple watch for my dog yeah or or wear or wearing it to work and then (laughs) claiming that that was your dog indeed yeah all of those extra walks that we went on but um but like, like you say sarah um my um my wife has been pretty obsessed recently with um checking out what our dog is doing when we're not there because we've got uh nest cams around the house so being able to kind of like spy on on jake while we're while we're out and see what he's up to and you know whether he's strayed onto the sofa like he shouldn't do or whether he's howling and annoying the neighbors like kind of all of that type of stuff is it's bizarre when you can facilitate that through you know pretty sort of niche technology even for for kind of today it gives like you say it gives like reassurance not just to uh, to you but potentially to insurance companies in the future that exactly like you say sarah you're looking after your dog and you know you're providing a uh, as stress-free uh, environment as you can with two children living with them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, brilliant. Um, that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much for joining us, Oki. It's been a pleasure. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, um, you can find out about um, Bought by Many at www.boughtbymany.com. Uh, come visit us, see our products and see if they, they work for you. Um, and I can be found, Oki Lazzi, uh, on LinkedIn. If people want to ask me any more questions, that's a good place to go. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, David, where can people find you? Uh, David Breer at 11fs.com. And you can find me at Sarah Koshansky on Twitter. Next up, we're going to take a look at some of the top stories in the world of insurance this week. So the first story today uh, comes from Lemonade.com, and it's unsurprisingly a story about Lemonade. Um, they've announced that they've released the world's first open source insurance policy. So they are in the process of creating what they've called Policy 2.0. Um, and the idea of this is it's going to be a, a simple approach, well, relevant and digital policy um, that is open source. So other insurers can come along and, and take this policy and just kind of tweak it to their needs. Um, it's like the idea of it going up on their GitHub. Um, and the, the what they're looking for here is consistency so with fewer exceptions to, to things you get more transparency simpler language in fact Oki who we had on today as well was talking about the importance of this if you know they, they say their reading age is about 10 for their policies compared to the average reading age of of uh, most insurers policy documents which I think is you know a Roman you know only relevant data and the interesting thing here is what enables it to be open source is that you digitally generate it for each individual policy so you take the basics and then when you go along and buy an insurance you know when you get a quote for insurance policy it's tailored to you so this is lemonade doing what lemonade does and trying to sort of reinvent things from the from the bottom up really so um like i think i've often been told i have a reading age of seven anyway so that'll come in quite handy with in terms of actually being able to kind of understand these things but isn't this sort of what everybody does anyway so basically giving a complete overview you know everybody hands out their their policy documents with what they're doing is this them trying to set the industry standard for what these exceptions actually are is that the, the it's, them, it's trying to set the industry standard for what a policy should look like so for example they say that they reckon their policy is only around 2,000 words whereas the average industry standard for, for the first one they've done anyway which is a US based renters policy um, is 20,000 words so they're actually just trying to reset 
what a, an insurance policy should look like to the end user. It'd be interesting to see. So the, I, I like the idea of them sort of open sourcing this as a thing to look at and having, you know, a, an industry-wide view of what the exceptions and policies will be around that. But I guess most insurance, as we were sort of talking about earlier on, is predicated on hopefully people not using it. Um, so many of those difference between the, you know, the other 18,000 words that they had in the other one is to make it very, very specific rather than very, very generic. Um, so I, I can't imagine, while this is probably very commendable in terms of simplification of information for customers to actually understand it, I do wonder whether the big organizations are going to follow suit. Yeah, I mean, I think their point is is that um, big organizations have a standard policy to which they just put, they throw everything on the book at it. Yeah. So even if you're buying home insurance for a flat in central London, it will probably include a clause about volcano damage, um, which is an example they give. And you it's actually, never know. Well... Why rule it out? You never know, do you? Uh, well, I mean, yes, you could take that approach, which is the approach that apparently the incumbent insurers take, whereas Lemonade um, would strip that out and say, rather than just having one policy for every every different type of home, we'll go back down to kind of like, okay, because because Lemonade as well pretty much exclusively offers insurance to renters in urban centres in America, they, they can do this. But I do see your point. If you're insur- providing a much broader range of policies, it might be more complex. Hmm. It's interesting to see if it catches on. Definitely. Um, so the second story today comes from the Insurance Times, and the headline is that Go Compare has introduced radical measures to attract female staff. Um, so basically, Go Compare, which is a big UK uh, comparison site for insurance, um, has acquired a company called My Voucher Codes, um, which means that its uh, staffing level will go above two hundred and fifty. And what that means is it's going to have to publish its gender balance. Um, which is a particular, you can tell by the fact that they've sort of published an article about the fact that they're introducing radical methods to change their current balance. It's probably not looking great. Hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? it? The fact that the insurance industry is worse than the banking industry for this one is quite an interesting sort of context for this, isn't it? Because you, you kind of think with all of the announcements and everything that's been coming out, that's been pretty horrific. But I guess, um, you know, particularly within the, uh, and I'm not sure with necessarily this just, uh, applies to go compare but most of the aggregators have come from you know affiliate backgrounds which has been predominantly a very very heavily sales driven um kind of culture which is generally i you know in my head i'm thinking wolf of wall street right now i don't know about you um but i guess that uh, that culture has predominantly been dominated by dudes so i do wonder whether they're going to be able to address it in the you know, speed that they would need to ahead of actually being able to publish these uh, these numbers. Yeah, I mean, some of the things they're doing is, you know, um, introducing software that scans the wording of this job adverts for any bias using female shortlists and blind CVs. You know, part of me goes, well, they shouldn't have to do that. Um, and the other part of me is like, well, at least they're making an effort, I suppose. Um, but I wish they'd made an effort before they were forced to by the law. <laughs> yeah, the thing I was kind of think like the other stuff makes sense as in like the software stuff and like making sure you're not putting biases into um, job ad adverts and whatnot but like blind cvs implies that if people knew that it was a woman they wouldn't use like hire that person which actually stems more managerial problems than it does hiring problems yeah it's it's an interesting argument i think one that spans across financial services um so our third story today is from the telegraph um and this is this is brilliant headline the beast from the east eats up direct lines entire yearly budget for weather claims um so the so-called beast from the east which dumped thick snow across britain in late february and across early march has landed on direct line with around 50 million pounds in weather claims which is just below its 55 million pound target for the entire year um the freezing weather earlier this year hit many drivers households and businesses hard we estimate the claims associated with the major freeze will utilize the group's full 
on your weather budget. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a big budget, isn't it? $55 million yeah. for the year that they basically spent in four weeks to kind of pay out. But I guess I have a lot of sort of like you say meh about this one because isn't this the point of insurance like if something happens you use it and you know the idea of a bunch of big companies going sorry like it's really sucks because like all of our customers used our product that doesn't seem like a fair excuse for for moaning about it really and i think it really should be an incentive for some of these big guys to start looking at how they modernize their businesses you know we are never we we just have to accept well i think most of us accept certainly people in this room that climate change is a thing and we're not going to be able to predict the weather in such a way as we used to, which goes on to say that old-fashioned risk models are somewhat outdated and that if insurers want to stop having paying out to these levels, then maybe they should start looking at what data they're using to, to write those policies. Yeah, I guess it's like it's a pretty slippy slope though, isn't it? Because that you know, you sort of play forward that argument and you get to the point of, you know, whole counties being excluded for various, like I live in Norfolk, it's like flat as a pancake, therefore flood floodplains are plenty type thing. You know, mm-hmm. the idea of home insurance for those uh, you know, lower level counties type thing to start getting completely excluded for home insurance or any of these types of things really would be kind of weird wouldn't it so they're sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't Um, but I think headlines like this just reinforces the message that the insurance industry is predicated on trying not to pay out uh, or hoping that you don't have to pay out too much um, which is not really the service that we were sort of talking about earlier on you kind of want people to engage with your service in terms of the things that you're offering um, and that doesn't always mean making a claim as as was being said earlier on really it can be preventative measures around any of those those sizes so um yeah not the best headline for direct line here i don't think yeah um and talking of headlines moving on to our final story today which is from insurance age this is um says ghost brokered policies up by 14 percent in the last year according to a company called smart driver club now this sounds fascinating because ghost policies i didn't realize we could insure against ghosts i know right or, or insure ghosts if you've got a pet ghost um so there's two different types of, of ghost brokers apparently or oh, sorry ghost brokered policies so there's ghost brokers which are fraudsters who pose as legitimate insurance brokers but are offering low-cost insurance usually for cash uh, normally to vulnerable populations so in this case the person buying the policy as well as the insurer who's underwriting the policy is being defrauded um, I, i'll take as a pun there that any in any walk of life anybody who will only accept cash is probably not a legitimate company in the way that you would want to be buying insurance. Just as a like a point for all of our listeners, that seems like a good stance as a to warning, take. As yep. a warning sign. Um, and the other circumstances is where policies are bought using a stolen identity and often a stolen credit card with the customer, this you know, the, the customer who is not in fact the customer being noted in the policy. Um, so in that case, the insurer is the one being defrauded. Um, I mean, it, it kind of the, the, the point I think this is making is that fraud is a big problem in insurance. Um the, sec- the second one, I don't really understand what the benefit is, though, because basically if somebody stole your identity, Sarah, and tried to buy an insurance policy for you based on your identity, what's the what's the gap there that they're trying to – how are they – what's the fraud? I'm struggling to understand what their upside is. And probably just because I'm not smart enough and not a criminal mastermind to try and figure out how I can make money out of that stuff. But it just seems like a – Sort of like, ha ha, you've got like double travel insurance, bang, you know, like uh, you're doubly protected when you go to Dublin. So um, I think the benefit for this is, is definitely for the for the fraudster. So the idea is that you, David, um, you know, go along, you, you see this insurance policy is much cheaper. So you you pay, you hand over your, your cash and they give you a document. You think, OK, great, you know, I'm insured. Um, and then something happens and you go to make a claim and it turns out the policy was never in your name at all. It was actually in 
my name and bought using my credit card. Um, and so they, you're not covered. The insurer pays out to somebody who isn't you and you're still left in the, you know, in dire straits whilst the, 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 the fraudulent broker, if you like, has managed to make off with, with two persons worth of policy. Bizarrely, who'd have thought it? A paper policy being somehow being able to be frauded. Hey, it's uh, I'm sure if Simon was here, he'd be giving a point around. Uh, there's like a blockchain for this of some description, right? There's a blockchain for everything. There is. Um, and with that, we will wrap up this episode of InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to our guest today, Oki from Bought by Many. Um, as always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. <laughs>